0: Back to the podcast. Thank you for being my conversation partner once again, Eli. Yeah, thanks for having me again.
1: I really uh, enjoyed your last podcast on Friedrich Nietzsche on the Daily Intellectual.
0: That was great. Weekly, I'm not that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not that competent in my podcasting yeah. ability. Give me you too so much I'm... credit, then. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, what were what were some of your takeaways? And well, I guess we should start a little bit before that. Uh, what is what is some of your background on the work of Nietzsche, and what have been your thoughts as you've learned about him?
1: Mostly, I've just heard about Nietzsche and um, and after the fact read Nietzsche because of commentary on Christianity and commentary on how to live a productive, active, um, positive life. Maybe not positive in the way that most people think about it, more as in gaining more power for, for yourself, and we'll talk about that I'm sure the meaning behind what he means by power mm. um, but his ideal is uh, attractive to me and I think it's attractive to a lot of people because it's very counter it's, it's very counter cultural even now he critiques a lot of things that we take for traditional and common morality things that are mm. very apparent to a lot of people yeah, yeah kind of take them for granted yeah we take them for granted and we don't really think about what we feel when we Um, adhere to these strict moral um, boundaries.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Like the things that we do where, I mean, (laughs) when I uh, read through Beyond Good and Evil recently, uh, it struck me how he critiques almost everything that he can, uh, whether that's traditional philosophy or traditional morality he kind of takes each of those things and says, "Well, why, why do we do that, or why do we um, believe that to be true?" And like you said, I think a lot of people don't even question those things. It's just like somebody might say, "Well, like why not? Like what's the reason why why we wouldn't do that?" And then Nietzsche might come back with something like, "Well, like here's the reason why, and here's why I practice differently." And uh, at times I wondered if he was a contrarian for contrarian's sake like he goes after and uh, beyond good and evil he goes after Kant he goes after Plato he goes after uh basically everybody like everybody he can think of everybody he mentions is some kind of critique against their, Do, their does belief. he give a critique on Schopenhauer he does yeah, yeah. which is interesting because uh from what I read about Nietzsche's background Schopenhauer was a big influence Um, and I guess, I guess his opinion of Schopenhauer through time kind of, uh, went from a high opinion to a much lower opinion through time. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, just like off the bat, I, I wonder if Nietzsche's kind of like negative, like he, for instance, his, his works were not highly praised in his lifetime. I don't think he was nearly as well known in his own lifetime. And I think that's true with a lot of artists, but late it took, quite a few years after for him to gain prominence, um, in his field and just in the general eye. So I just kind of wondered also, like, are some of these things because he's, uh, discontented with life and discontented with the response that he's gotten. I know he had like health issues too, but yeah, those are some of my thoughts as I read his work. Yeah. Well, with, um, Schopenhauer,
1: he, it's definitely said that he was Nietzsche's mentor for at least his intellectual mentor. For a large portion of his um, intellectual maturation, and someone uh, once said that their that Nietzsche's philosophy is a negation or an in, or an attempted uh, schluffing off is the way he said it of Schopenhauer's pessimism and his just dog eat dog mentality of how the world works.
0: Hmm. Is that the the German S C H L schluffing? Or is that? <laughs> Schlepping. Schlepping? <laughs> <laughs> not even sure that's a word, but... Why not? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so... And I don't know this myself. Was Schopenhauer physically present during that maturation process? Or was it more of him being influenced by his work? And um, being... Like, kind of going off of his work? You know? It's possible... Uh,
1: that I could be wrong about this, but I believe he was a professor at the same university. Was that uh,
0: Vienna? Uh, he, Nietzsche became a professor at Basel. Basel, Basel, that's right. Every, everybody else is from Vienna. I keep on thinking that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Well, we'll, uh, we'll look into that and maybe come back to it. Um, but I'm curious, what are... What are some of your thoughts about his critique of Christianity? Because he goes after Christianity pretty hard, especially mm-hmm. um, or just traditional morality in general. Uh, you you said that you find some of that critique uh, to be um, revolutionary in some sense. Uh, what like when you were when you were first when you were first hearing about Nietzsche or learning about Nietzsche? Um, what stood out to you in in those critiques? First off, I want to just kind of say that
1: there are things, when we look at Nietzsche, the things that he gives cur- critiques on are things that a lot of Christian uh, leaders have been talking about for, for a long time, mainly to check your intentions. And you, you said he critiqued Kant a lot, and Kant was big on intentionality. Morality is about your intention, not about necessarily the result, as the utilitarians would put it. And so, Nietzsche asks us to look at things such as pity and ask ourselves, when we're pitying someone, when we're trying to be compassionate for someone, what does that emotion look like in, in yourself? Is it condescending? Is that, is that what you're feeling and that gives you pleasure? Because that wouldn't be true compassion. In the Christian sense It wouldn't be selfless Because you're getting this Smug satisfaction From being compassionate For giving to charity Or for doing volunteer work And so You, you, you talked about um, How he's an antagonist For antagonistic sake Maybe you said he's You're, you're, you're not sure if he is or not mm-hmm. um, And then The person that comes to mind for me that I think kind of reflects Nietzsche's thought, and a lot of people have thought that she's a continuation of that as Ayn Rand.
0: Mm. Yeah, I was definitely going to ask about her <laughs> <'cause Yeah>.
1: and <laughs> those ideas. She definitely talks about pity being a disgusting just wretching idea. Just mm. makes, makes her sick to think that people can feel the, the emotion of pity. Mm. And I don't think she necessarily thinks of pity in the same way that the Christian fathers thought of pity and compassion. But I see a parallel between Nietzsche and Ayn Rand and that idea of pity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's in the episode when I, when I said about, toward the end I asked the question, what uh, part of traditional morality exactly is Nietzsche critiquing? Because maybe there's some kind of uh, resemblance to the idea that a human being is very powerful and when we negate our own power, uh, again, maybe we maybe we should define the term power as as used by Nietzsche um, and used in other senses. But when we take away our own power because we are either pitting to ourselves, uh, like I think of Luther saying, "I am a worm," <laughs> and just like having that be his own self definition, um, uh, I, I would think that that idea is what Nietzsche is mostly critiquing and. I use the word uh, like enabling versus enfeebling. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think both Nietzsche and Rand would say, <clears throat> like you said, it's it's kind of disgusting to to think of yourself as a victim or to think of other people as victims and to feel sorry for them when really you can build yourself up and you can be uh, your own best potential. And that's a cheesy, like modern way to put it, but um, the
1: way Rand puts it is that. She doesn't like to think of people In general as Entities deserving of pity And when someone places themselves In that position Of being pitied That's not a designation That's suitable for man And um, Going off of What you said about power Obviously Fully um, and Enveloped in what the the Ubermach was and i thought it was interesting while i was reading mere, mere christianity lewis talks about the new man and i think he's obviously critiquing nietzsche in there and mm. kind of working off of his ideas of the Ubermach. but i see some parallels in lewis's new man and nietzsche's new man mm. and i wanted to get your opinion on what you think of that comparison but also what you think nietzsche meant by power what is what is power
0: Mm -hmm. yeah let's uh let's go into that term and then we can talk about or i'll uh answer your question about what i think about the similarities there uh so power by my understanding of when nietzsche refers to power and when i when i think about that when, when he describes this idea of power essentially being a person's ability to dictate things around them. Uh, I myself think of how human beings are drawn to confidence, and I, I've been thinking about that for a while. Why are why are we so drawn to confidence? What do we find attractive in a confident person? And I think confidence is closely linked to competence. Mm-hmm. And if you are around a confident, at least it should be. Well, <laughs> yeah. If it's if it's true confidence, generally there's something to be confident yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but if you're around a confident and therefore a competent person the weight falls less on you and I think that's part of the reason why people are drawn to a confident person is because they know if they're around that person they can handle different things that come up and they want mm-hmm. them to be dragging that person along maybe even they want to be dragged along uh, being around somebody like that um, but so that's what I see that's what I see kind of on a daily basis of of Nietzsche's idea of will to power is that we are all striving to be, um, competent individuals. And it is not that we are trying to be, uh, loving to our neighbors necessarily. Like that's not what I think Nietzsche is like critiquing somewhat is the, I I talked about this in the podcast, the slave morality of traditional morality systems. Um, and he wants to get back to the master morality which he cites as being the, the dominant uh, ideal, the dominant morality for a majority of human history until the slaves kind of uh, started, started promoting the slave morality to try to equalize things. But he said, let's get back to uh, attempting to be uh, competent people, attempting to be um, able people and not negate ourselves, negate our own ability. What do you think of that? I think, yeah, that, that pretty much falls in line
1: with what I see as his idea of will to power. I think it's interesting to think about this. Did Mother Teresa have a will to power? I think she definitely did. She had a will to power to have the power to propagate love and compassion and help for the for the poor and the needy and to possess a power to infer To influence the kind of needs and causes that she wanted to influence, she needed to have a form of power. And that is the power to influence events and things going around you in in your environment. So Mother Teresa had a will to power. Lewis had a will to power. In Ecce Homo, Nietzsche would say that Jesus had a will to power. And it's evident in the fact that Christianity has long been the reigning at least the most populous religion of, of of the world for a long
0: time at least the western world true sorry yeah i know i know like today it's like 33 percent is okay. uh christian but i guess I, I don't know if we have the numbers through the rest okay. of history for like buddhism hinduism right Taoism. yeah but, anyway. but i think that was nietzsche's argument essentially was mm. that
1: in his world around him christianity was the reigning influence and they had the most power mm-hmm. and that came from Jesus' initial Nietzsche would say corrupted and bastardized view of what the world should be mm-hmm. so about Lewis and Nietzsche do you mm-hmm. think there's any correlation there?
0: yeah um, I was just going to say a couple quick things about Jesus mm-hmm. uh, shameless plug here that's what my next episode on Weekly Intellectual is shameless about. plug jesus <laughs> jesus uh, it's gonna be a non-religious look at jesus um but I, I find it interesting that in thus spoke zarathustra zarathustra says if jesus had lived long enough if they didn't kill him he would also be of the same mind as zarathustra was and jesus would basically have renounced his own sayings of slave morality his own ideals um because he would have become Old and wise enough, essentially, was my, my take, my understanding of what Zarathustra says in that book. Mm. Um, but the he also just heavily, Nietzsche critiques the life of, of Christ and basically says um, it's mostly fable. Uh, but anyway, so that's an interesting um, kind of take on it. But then as far as, uh, so Lewis's idea of the new man and Nietzsche's idea, I do see some similarities there, and it's interesting. I, you can almost see parallels between the religious ideals of, of what you might call uh, those those ennobling ideas, um, the new man being one of them. And by my understanding, it's uh, it is the when when you are born again, you. Have the spirit of God within you, and you become almost godlike, or at least superhuman to the extent that you uh, might care about other people way more than you did. You might think less poorly of yourself after that, and you might be enabled to do greater deeds. Um, so that kind of like strikes a chord with Mother Teresa and C.S. Lewis, um, and just everyone having will to power. I think in order to be known, in order for your ideas to be uh, propagated, you have to have some kind of effective voice. And I think both Lewis's new man, um, I, if I remember correctly, he says that, that that person, if you met him on the street, would have much more time than you seem to have. He'd be much less hurried, and he'd be basically in greater control of the situation around him and more interested in what you had to say to him than
1: what he has to say to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so that ideal, see, I don't, I don't see that great of a stark difference between that idea of a person and what Nietzsche says. Cause Nietzsche, when he says God is dead, he then goes on to say, we must become gods to fill in the gap. Mm -hmm. Otherwise there's going to be disaster. Mm -hmm. Tyrants are going to take, over the sheep herd, which is the people without the god ideal, mm. um, so we have to become gods ourselves. I don't, I don't see a big difference there. So but. you, so you just said that tyrants would take
1: over the sheep herd and mm-hmm. they would follow them just because they are sheep, essentially. In, I find it interesting because in your podcast you talked about how the evil that he saw brewing in his time you you call it so, socialism and mm. you said that his greatest hero was 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 Napoleon mm. right yeah so he almost seems to me to be in support of a hopefully competent dictatorship and how would you have that without people being sheep because if socialism and if democracy is a con and a a hindrance to the emergence of the ubermatch, how... I don't like him critiquing dictators. <laughs> 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 because I don't see how that meshes with his idea.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that really stood out to me about... so. He was against democracy and socialism, and against tyrants. So yeah, it's almost like what's left uh, in in regular governance. Um, but I, by, by my understanding, at his time, democracy was just starting to gain a foothold because the the U.S. had done it for about a hundred years up to and that point. He he
1: he had probably seen the disaster of the French Road the french revolution mm-hmm. and it's interesting that he he would have seen the french go back to a dictatorship yeah after the great re- the great revolution mm-hmm. and the equality the the equality fraternity of the revolution he would have seen them renounce that mm-hmm. and go back to napoleon's
0: nephew yeah and and that stabilizing force that that was the return liberty sorry Liberty, equality, fraternity.
1: Mm-hmm. Couldn't couldn't think of the third one.
0: Yeah, and so yeah, in my mind, I just thought like, maybe he was for monarchy. Mm. Maybe that was his <laughs> ideal uh, government structure. I, I can't say that with any sh- with any surety. But it, if I had to take a guess, I think it would be
1: meritocracy. In any, mm. that's a very broad term and it's not really it's just ruled by the best Mm -hmm. yeah but how is that different than Stalin and Hitler well I, I think I think if we were to ask him if I assume what he would say is that Stalin was one some kind of a brutal demagogue and he took over the reins of power and it was just him whereas I think Nietzsche would optimally have a kind of re- a kind of republic of best people just like socrates wanted mm-hmm. the rule of the best a council a group of ubermatches and um, there's that there's that phrase will there's the phrase knowledge is power and i think it's very interesting in the way that we talk about power and how nietzsche may have thought of it and go back to one of nietzsche's old bugaboos socrates <laughs> because socrates mm-hmm. thought that knowledge the progression of knowledge breeds greater virtue and jumping around a lot here but if you go back to cs lewis and his new man you almost think of lewis talking about the what what down the road looks like of socrates's for virtuous man they gain the knowledge and the accessibility of what god wants to give these people making them into sons of god and that is the increase in knowledge and hence the increase in power Mm -hmm. the power to do things that are selfless and adhering to the virtues of christianity and of christ Mm -hmm. so the two people i don't think nietzsche would agree with very much at all i think kind of Kind of show that as their idea of a person, mm. and I think that's
0: kind of the same. yeah, and um, I was gonna mention one other interesting thing and in beyond good and evil, Nietzsche said with with the thousands in a single civilization, seven or eight great men will be developed. Well there's your counsel, I guess yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I didn't know I didn't know if he meant uh, through time. Like, from the period of the Roman Empire, seven or eight would be great great rulers or great men. Oh, you're saying from the time of the Roman Empire? No, I'm... Or you're saying every,
1: every generation?
0: I didn't know if he meant the entire extent of a civilization from beginning to end, or if he meant seven or eight at one time. I think what he meant is through the entire extent of the civilization. Oh,
1: well, then you're not going to have a council. Yeah, and that's <laughs> what...
0: So I think that just then begs you would the almost question. have
1: to have a dictatorship at
0: that point, yeah or some kind of uh, triumvirate at Truth. least yeah yeah um, but but yeah no I think I think you were correct in in the critique of saying how how is that not a dictator and lots of people think that Napoleon was something of a dictator like that he was a tyrant in himself well he created his own triumvirate
1: as a <laughs> as a cover for his dictatorship the way i see it so mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah interesting stuff um so i think sorry can i yeah, take a real quick i yeah. so
1: um as far as progression to the ubermatch i know you wanted to bring this up and uh i want your 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 opinion on what this on, on what this means, Nietzsche had the idea of the progression of a human soul towards, I'm I'm going to use the word enlightenment. And his idea was that people go through stages that he called the camel, the lion, and the child. Uh, can you kind of um, speak to that a little bit?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I was going to um, mention that next because I think, uh, you mentioned that was one of the most glaring omissions from my podcast, or at least one that could uh, <laughs> could use a little more commentary. Well, b- before you say
1: it, I I think it is so important about Nietzsche because he presents all these great ultimatums and these great, look at the finish line, run for that finish line, but he doesn't tell you how to move your feet. He doesn't tell you how fast to go. He doesn't tell you to pace yourself. Mm-hmm. So the road to get to the Ubermatch I think the, the, the camel, the lion, the child is a very interesting way um, where he says it in in so many words.
0: Yeah, and after we go into that a little bit, I'd like to hear your take on the, the theory that Nietzsche himself exploring the idea of the ubermensch and trying to get there led to his downfall or his uh, collapse. <laughs> um so maybe we can talk about that a little bit after. So Maybe. Uh, in Thus Spoke Zarathustra, it, this idea of the camel, the lion, and the child was presented. And the basic idea is that the camel carries the burden because he is told to. He is basically a beast of burden. And that is the majority of people in the world. They are stuck at that initial stage. The second stage is the lion. And he slays the dragon of Thou Shalt. Uh, Basically, he stops doing everything that he is told. Um, Many more people get stuck at this stage. They unravel what they previously thought was meaning and decide there is no meaning. And so when someone is a lion, they don't do what they're told, and they start to question what they are told and what to believe, but they give up on meaning altogether and become nihilistic. Uh, Nietzsche was very anti-nihilism, And spoke to the meaning in a person or the meaning in one's own self or existence. Before you go forward, real real quick, I want to speak to something I heard about the origin of the word nihilism.
1: Mm. It came from the Russians of Dostoevsky's era. Mm. And uh, Dostoevsky kind of helped to coin the phrase nihilism because Mm. he wrote a book on how the nihilists were the ones who were rejecting the values and the morality of their fathers. And that's who they originally called Nihilists,
0: were the counterculture people of their era. Hmm. Interesting. So was that uh, Notes from the Underground? You know. No. Um, else.
1: Man, it was about a story in which um, this innocent child, kind of like the idiot at the beginning, hmm. uh, comes to be influenced by a group of radicals, political radicals, and it leads to his insanity and downfall. Hmm. Can't think of the name. But uh, maybe may, may I'll bring it up if I can find it. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah, and then the last stage in that is the child. The child is the uh, last stage, and that child begins to say yes to things rather than rejecting all the old notions. So he replaces those old held traditions of what he has been told to believe with, with new ones after critical thought, basically. Um, it is the idea of a child at play. So one's own life reflects a child, just kind of roaming around, um, exploring things, seeing new things, even creating new capabilities by that exploration, um, which reminded me, just as I as I heard this uh, these quick summaries from from Stephen West podcast Philosophize this, um, I couldn't help when that last stage think about. Uh, Jordan Peterson's idea of the exploratory hero. I don't think it was his idea originally, but he talks about it in his book, Maps of Meaning. And the idea of the exploratory hero is that ultra-competent person who people are drawn to. I know Jordan Peterson is um, somewhat uh, influenced by Nietzsche himself, so that that might be connected. Um, This idea of this exploratory person who is not held within boundaries, uh, whether it be in thought or actual physical boundaries, um, but is able to lead others in exploring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, what do you, what do you think about that, or where do you, uh, where do you want to go with that? Yeah, so there's,
1: I, I feel bad that I can't remember who it's by, but there's someone who says uh, a man is not so much himself as when he is at play. Do you remember that? Someone said that it was either was it Tolkien Hegel maybe, or... no. um, but there's the idea that people are not so much people as when they're at play because it's not a means to an end, and uh, that's uh, that's what what Kant would say. People are people are the end; they're never the means. And mm. then Aristotle would say in the would say in the Nicomachean Ethics that his idea of the perfect life is the active life where you're doing things that are for their own sake and never for an end. Mm. And it's like the Isle of the gods. It's what the gods do on Olympus is what Aristotle likened it to. Mm. Because they they do things out of just the pleasure of doing them. And they can sometimes seem fickle and they can sometimes seem like they're not planning forward but that's what someone with power looks like Mm -hmm. and I think it's interesting when you look at like children playing they're that they're not they're not trying to accomplish anything consciously and I think it's interesting that you brought up Jordan Peterson because he did a lot of work on the psychology of human development up to the age of seven and then it gets concrete and you build on those things as you get older Mm -hmm. but up till the age of seven Jordan talks about watching children at play. Mm-hmm. And going off the uh, notions that Piaget studied. Yeah, yeah in his Piaget. Lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, his idea was that you, you look at children and they're unconsciously gaining more power by practicing being an adult, essentially. But it's mm-hmm. fun to them. They're not doing it to consciously be an adult. And I think that's what Nietzsche would like for human beings, is for us to giving to our Dionysian side as opposed to our Apollonian side. Mm. And because Dionysus is about instinct, it's about feeling. And that's a better gauge for where we're really supposed to be in life mm. and what we're supposed to be doing and pursuing.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I, I found that very refreshing in studying Nietzsche, that appeal to emotion, appeal to passion, because that's not very much appealed to in higher thought. And I think that Nietzsche kind of prophesied, along with the death of God, prophesied that there would be this death of, of soul, of, of uh, you know, that idea that we do things for a reason. There is purpose behind it. Clear meaning. Yeah, and he, he had to speak against nihilism mm-hmm. because he saw nihilism being a big issue in the coming time. Um, And so it's interesting that like his, his critique is both a critique, a critique of traditional morality, but also a very forward thinking critique of what he saw replacing that, uh, replacing that traditional morality, which was nihilism and uh, (laughs) tyrannical rule. And um, yeah, other things they saw unsavory as unsavory. Well, that's the, that's a beautiful thing that I think people need to
1: engage more with Nietzsche about, is what comes after rebellion. Just like the French had their problem of providing something to take the place of monarchy. They, had, they, had, they didn't have no problem, but they, they, didn't, they, they, they had no problem in their convictions of throwing off the oppressive monarchy that was over them. But what did they have to replace it with? The council that used the chiatine to its most efficient use since then. And with the camel, the lion, the child, you have the camel and the lion, which are very evident with people. You see a lot of people who who are in the camel and the lion stage. They're either submitting or suppressing their own power and themselves to adhere to some dogmatic view of the world. Or they're rebelling against it and just saying no to things instead of saying yes to things like you said. Mm. And I think modernity and posterity, that's that wrestling with saying no to things. And choosing not to say no to things at some point, and starting to say yes to things. Mm-hmm. If yeah. only Jim, if only Jim, Jim Carrey was here. <laughs> Is are those the uh, ideas that he espouses? <laughs> I think Jim that's Carrey. pretty much the motivational speaker
0: and in, in a yes man. So yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a pretty like um, otherworldly thinker at this point in his oh, yeah. life, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I think that prescribes pretty well also like you said the the modern dilemma because I don't think we can help but start to unravel some of these traditions and if they haven't become totally unraveled already they are at least under heavy questioning in the western world today and uh not not just in the religious sense i think religious numbers are down especially in the western world and they continue to decline but even just the idea that i don't know that life has meaning basically i mean that's nihilism i was trying to think of a different way to to put that but i just think that there is this underlying current of where do we go from here what do we do from here if we don't if we don't look to the same things or we're not looking to the same you call it hope as our ancestors did. Where do we find hope? Is it in technology? Is it in, um, better forms of government treating each other better as citizens? And I think we have made advances in all those areas since Nietzsche's time. Um, but I, I think that that struggle to reconstruct after so much deconstruction is, was well identified in the camel lion child, mm-hmm. uh, description yeah but i don't uh, yeah
1: i think that's a really good point i just i don't think people move towards nature's philosophy about the child they're stuck in the lion face and which is beneficial to a point but then it just becomes destruction if you're if you're trying to deconstruct things you deconstruct a certain amount of things but then, if you get in the habit of deconstruction, and that's all you can do anymore, is deconstruct, deconstruct, deconstruct. Have you forgotten how to construct? Have you cons- Have you considered how to make a yes decision? And I think that's something that's very important. And uh, I don't, I don't see it too much nowadays. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. Um. Yeah, any other, any other things you wanted to go over, and then I have a, a wrap-up question of sorts um, when, when you're ready. I just had one more topic. Um, yeah. What do you
1: think of Nietzsche's idea of eternal return? He had this idea that we all live our lives an infinite amount of times. And what would that mean to you if that was the mm-hmm. case? How would you look at your life if you had to live it infinite amount of times again?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, kind of coming back to me now. Um, I think it's an interesting blend of the the idea of reincarnation and the idea that in uh, Eastern religions that believe in reincarnation, it's that the level that you get to in the next life is dependent on how well you lived this life. And you might be you might be the son of a of an emperor if you keep like climbing that reincarnation ladder so to speak or you might be a fly in the next life if you were a really crappy person um so i think it's kind of a blending of that and also the idea of like if today was your last day but instead it's if if this was your only life if this was the only life that you had and you lived it again how would you live by my understanding, he didn't actually think that was a possibility. Correct. More, more of a thought, more of a thought, a thought experiment. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's that is helpful, um, and I, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's really interesting to me, just in general, how he blends different uh, religious and moral and ethical ideals. And creates his own system hmm. essentially, and yeah, that, that's my that's my general thought is that it it is it sparks it sparks um, inner searching to say how am I living if this was the life I lived over and over and the choices I make now uh, follow me for the rest of eternity, which sounds somewhat familiar, like echo familiar in a lot of <laughs> people's minds, um, but yeah, I think it's worth worth thought and a a good consideration to undertake yeah i
1: haven't been able to find out with a clear in in a clear way if he was literal about that Hmm. because there there's this idea that i heard that he believed in which is that there's a certain amount of there was a thought at the time that there's energy pockets and they interact with each other kind of like atoms to create the universe through causation and he believed that there was only a certain amount of Combinations that these atoms can be arranged in. So, given enough time, this moment, this collection of atoms, is going to be in that same way again. So, you're going to live your same life again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't. It it, it it does make sense to me more honestly that he thought of it as a as a, as a thought experiment because mm-hmm. I don't necessarily see Nietzsche really really believing that. Maybe that's. Maybe that's why Ayn Rand kind of called him a a mystic is because he believed in things like eternal recurrence. Mm -hmm. But I think it is interesting that he, I think he probably used it as a critique towards the thought, the feelings of the afterlife in Christianity or even uh, transcendence and reincarnation in Eastern religions, which Schopenhauer was really big on Eastern religions. Um, and so, if you look at eternal recurrence, you're, you're going to live this again, which might be in contrast to, you're going to move on to a better life, and this isn't going to matter so much, mm-hmm. which is different than, I think, most Christians would put it. I think most Christians would put it as, yes, this does matter. And this matters in the same way that you're going to be starting from some point when you Pass on. And Lu- I think C.S. Lewis tells this very well in *The Great Divorce*. But he talks about how people are just, e- even when they get there, they have ways to go. Mm. They may have gone to a certain point in this life, but yeah. Christ and God is going to help them progress and move up that mountain.
0: Mm. That they're pointing in one direction in this life and building towards something. yeah and Some mm. people are going to have longer to go than others, mm. but.
1: I think Nietzsche was trying to critique his idea of how people thought about this life that he ran into. And Mm -hmm. his idea was that this doesn't matter. God's going to provide us with a new one. So what's the point in killing yourself over this one?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, um, that reminds me of one other thing um, that I read uh, recently in Beyond Good and Evil, and that's just the one I most recently read of his. But uh, when so he, he says that free will, the idea of free will, because as you say that, like it makes sense in my mind to conceptualize, but I don't see how free will can be divorced from any of those uh, ideas that you should live in such a way that, you're, that your decisions matter. You're saying he you didn't believe in free will? So in Beyond Good and Evil, he says. The idea of free will has been refuted so many times that it might survive only because of the refutations made to it, which basically spark the argument over again. And so I see what you're saying with that. Like We mentioned in the last time we talked in this podcast how free will doesn't seem to have scientific backing or even... At least logical. Yeah, fully logical backing. And so it it almost has to be like some kind of leap of faith to believe in free will, right. even though it seems very logical, just on like a, a colloquial basis that we think of free will. Um, but yeah, so it's just interesting to me how that idea seems to beg the question of free will existing. But if he didn't believe that it did, uh, I just wonder, and I, I can't say that with certainty either um, just off that single passage. But I wonder, if not free will, what other factors are at play in that equation? How can there be any will in the will to power
1: mm-hmm. if there is no free will?
0: Yeah, or to choose to live in such a way that the eternity that you will be living is good mm-hmm. if there is eternal recurrence. Um, but yeah, some, some thoughts to chew on. Uh, so the question I had to wrap things up is do you believe that for all of the grand ideas that Nietzsche had and the the original um, portrayal of reality that he was able to paint um, do you think he reached his full capacity as a philosopher or was he as some people th- seem to think or some people, uh, just don't reference him was he was he a hack <laughs> um,
1: no not a hack uh, definitely not a hack I don't think that anyone it is it, it isn't a it it is an appeal to authority fallacy to say that his work wouldn't be impactful to so many people if it wasn't if he was not a great philosopher but I'll buy that with this person. I think Nietzsche has spoken to so many people, not even the people who interpret his ways and his thinking into ways that I would dislike, but people like Jordan Peterson, doesn't agree with him on on everything, but he finds his work edifying and enlightening and perspective broadening. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing, even if you don't agree with him, Mm -hmm. to provide a critique and What I think Nietzsche got stuck in is his lion phase. In the same way that he talked about Jesus and... In that way, I feel like Nietzsche was stuck in his... Lion phase. If he would have grown older, I think he would have progressed to do even better things, even greater works. Just because he was so talented, even so much as you said in your podcast, to be made a professor at the age of 24. You're an exceptional person, especially in Germany in the philosophical community in that age. To become a professor at 24, you won't get there if you're not amazing. I just think that Nietzsche has so much more to say once he got past that lion phase of rejecting, 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 rejecting. I think it would have been just amazing to see what Nietzsche would say yes to.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's um, edifying to consider his work. And uh, just real quick on Jordan Peterson, he has a 45-minute video on a single passage of Beyond Good and Evil on YouTube. <laughs> and Is it, it, is it the Madman passage? Um, I honestly can't remember off the top of my head. Okay. But uh, it's just called like 45-minute commentary on Beyond Good and Evil passage <laughs> uh, for the title of the video. But... Uh, the, in in that video, he says, "Beyond good and evil," and Nietzsche's work generally is heavy, like it it causes you to go deep within yourself. And that was my experience uh, going through Nietzsche's work and his life recently. So I would I would agree with you and say that um, he is not a hack, and his his work uh, is pragmatically fruitful through time. I agree. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for being on again. Thanks for joining me, and I hope to do it again. Yeah, and I am looking forward to some more
1: weekly intellectuals. <laughs> and uh, I, I enjoyed the last one. It really told me a lot of things that I did not know. Uh, so it was great to come on and talk about some of the things that you said on that podcast and some more things. And I um, hopefully
0: I'm on back again soon. Yep, looking forward to it.